From New Hampshire Public Radio and the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire, you're listening to Check This Out, a new literary series where we dive deeply into the works of emerging and diverse authors you may not have discovered yet. I'm your host, Rachel Barenbaum, author of the novel Atomic Anna. I am thrilled to be able to share these conversations with you over the next few weeks. Today, we have a special show. We've brought in our favorite librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. They are in the studio with me today, and they are going to tell us about their favorite books of the year and give us some recommendations for holiday reading. So hello to the librarians. I'm so excited to have you guys here today, and I'm going to introduce you to our listeners. Our first librarian coming to us from Vermont is Jared Jenish. Jared is an adult services librarian at the Howe. When not staffing the reference desk, he can be found romping around the woods or trying his hand at recipes from around the world. That's right, he's a cook and a reader. Jared, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hi, Rachel. It is a pleasure to be here. So tell me what you do at the library other than uh, devising adult programming, editing video, staffing the reference desk. That's a lot. What else do you do? That is a lot. We also love interacting with people who come in. Uh, We think of the library as a place where People can come to work, to meet one another, to talk about books with us. Um, Offering a space to the public is a really important part of what we do, and we love being a part of that. And what do you do at the library? I do spend a lot of time, as you noted, coming up with programs that people can come to. We have everything from author talks to talks on uh, environment and the climate, on Uh, gardening, we have Dartmouth professors, Dungeons and Dragons, chess, you name it, we provide it. Um, So I spend a lot of time setting all of that in place and then a lot of time editing a video, including video of our Check This Out series that we're taking part in right now. I love that. You know, I think a lot of people think of librarians as sitting at the reference desk or reading books, but actually there's a lot behind the scenes that needs to happen to put all the programming together and to make sure that you have the amazing books that are on the shelves that you guys have. So I'm really excited to have you guys here to talk about this. Megan Coleman. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited you're joining us. Megan Coleman is the PR and marketing librarian at The How. Annoyed that clothes that could have pockets did not have pockets, Megan has been slowly teaching herself to sew. She listens to lots of audiobooks, way too many podcasts, and watches YouTube to learn about the latest celebrity lawsuit drama. Love that. She also reads a ton of books. So what do you read, Megan? Um, I read a lot of nonfiction, mostly a lot of history. I was a history major, so that's not surprising. Um, and a lot of science, health type stuff. Um, I also really like romance. Like I love hockey romances, and I also got into ghost stories last year. Ooh, what kind of ghost stories? Like Christmas ghost stories, especially. Um, I guess it's an old tradition that at Christmas you would read ghost stories. Wow. And I kind of like that. I I'm, I have a love-hate relationship with the holidays, so um, Ghost Story seems totally up my alley for someone who's like, eh. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Our third and final librarian joining us today is Mike Morris. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having us today. So Mike Morris is an adult services librarian who focuses on collection development and selects fiction and digital materials for the library. When he isn't at the information desk leading book groups or weeding books in the stacks, he's attempting to parent two rambunctious little boys. (laughs) So you do a lot of book buying for the library. What kind of books are you buying? So I buy the majority of fiction and then biography. And we also do a lot of uh, buying of the digital materials for the library. So that means your 
downloadable ebooks and e-audiobooks as well. And I also do a lot or have in the last couple of years in uh, DEI work, so diversity, e- equity, and inclusion um, for our collection itself. We're kind of trying to be purposeful in the things that we buy for the library. That's amazing. So I think um, some people don't always realize that they can request books, that they can ask you to buy books for them. That is actually a huge way of, you know, the things that we end up selecting, um, the people who speak up and say what they would like. Um, they hear it on a recommendation on NPR, and they it's something maybe we missed in the media or maybe a local author that we didn't come across in our um, professional review journals. But it's something that when we hear from the public, we, we, we respond and we buy those books. I love that. So how can someone find you or how could they request a book for your collection? There's multiple ways. Um, you can come to the library and ask us right at the desk. Um, we also have forms online where you can request digitally or you can just email us in general. I love that. And you can do that in any library, right? All over across the country. Most likely. There's a lot of them you can't, I think. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I do it all the time. I've done it my whole life. And uh, you guys have bought a lot of books for me over the years. So thank you. I am always so grateful for that. Um, It's amazing because you can actually even request books before they're published so that you guys will buy them for us. Right. And I can borrow it, you know, the week that it comes out, which is an amazing gift because it gets very expensive to be buying lots of books. And it frees up your bookshelves at home. (laughs) Yes, yes. So people who love books tend to love librarians because you guys have so many of the books that we love. One of my favorite things to do when I go to the library is ask librarians for recommendations. And I love to see what you guys put out on the shelves, right? We recommend and this kind of thing. So this is a dream show for me because I get to have you here in person and I get to go around our little circle here and ask you, what do you recommend? What should I be reading? I'm going to start off with Jared and I'm going to ask him about one of his favorite books for the year that we might have missed. Jared, what book have you brought today to recommend to us? I have brought Discalculia, a love story of epic miscalculation by Camon Felix. So how did you find the book? As with many of our books, uh, browsing amongst our own new bookshelves. Some of them, of course, I've selected for the collection myself, but I also happen across books selected by my colleagues. I love that. So what's the book about? This book is a memoir of the author's life focused especially on the breakup of a relationship. And, And what are the themes and what drew you into the book? Why do you love it? The prose is immensely powerful. It's written by a poet in short usually page-long fragments, and it touches on a lot of very intense, dark themes, and the power of the book is the way it focuses around her life and the breakup and then comes out through a process of healing and evolution on the other side. Talk to me about the title. Sure. What does it mean, and how do you say that again? Discalculia. Discalculia is a psychological or cognitive inability to do math, and she uses it to frame this story because... At a certain point, when she was a fairly young girl, she went from being able, from being quite good at math to not being able to understand numbers at all, almost overnight. The backdrop for that was child sexual abuse and the impact of, on her mind of her surroundings. And then late in the book, when she's undergoing treatment for what is her probably her primary mental illness, she begins to be able to understand numbers again. Oh, wow. So it's her journey through healing and love through math. Exactly. The book itself is about a relationship, but that is kind of the framing metaphor for it. Mm -hmm. 
don't think I've ever uh, read a book that was about someone losing the ability to do math before. That's fascinating. It is. It's a very effective frame, but not a lot of the book is spent on it. Much more is spent on her childhood, her her life as a young woman, and then the descent into this relationship that almost takes her to pieces when it ends. That's the th- main thrust of this story. The, the dyscalculia is more like a frame. Yeah, that is fascinating. I'm going to have to go to the library and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> If you're just joining us, I'm Rachel Barenbaum. My guests today are the librarians from the Howe Library, and you're listening to Check This Out on New Hampshire Public Radio. We are talking to these incredible librarians today about their holiday suggestions and the best books that they've read this year. Megan Coleman, I'm going to move to you. Tell me about uh, the first book that you brought today to share with us. So remember when I said I have a love-hate relationship with the holidays? If you're like that, I'm going to recommend a young adult horror suspense novel. I wouldn't say I'm a horror suspense fan, but I love the concept of the book when I read the description, and I highly recommend this. It's called There's No Way I Die First by Lisa Springer. Our main character is Noelle Lane. She's 17 years old. She runs a podcast and horror movie club. She knows everything there is to know about horror movies, and she decides because she wants to do a brand expansion, she is going to host the ultimate exclusive Halloween party on Long Island for all her friends and all these social influencers who happen to be her friends. And everything's going great until the low-budget it clown that she hired for a game of tag actually kills a guest. And said it clown announces that everyone else is also going to die. And Noelle decides that she is not going to be a victim. She's going to be the final girl and she's going to prevail. And there are times when this book is very funny. Um, So it's not like it doesn't take itself too seriously, but um, I just think it's great. Hence the title. Hence the title. (laughs) There's no way I die first. (laughs) So is it YA? It's YA. Um, And I read an interview with Lisa. Um, She's from Barbados originally. She lives in New York now. But she is a huge horror fan, and she did not like that there's not really any horror films out there where there's a black final girl. When you think about, or even just a black person in general who's like one of the last people to be alive or maybe even survive. So that's why she wrote this book. Wow. Was to have, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but clearly Noelle is the final girl. I won't tell you if she lives or not. You'll have to read it. <laughs> sounds so good. But it also sounds like, um, you know, YA is sometimes um, keeps some people from reading. They think, oh, I'm an adult. I'm not going to read it. But it sounds like all ages would enjoy this book. Yes. And even if you don't know a lot about horror films, I, I, which I don't, I would still recommend this. You wouldn't feel like you're missing something. So come to the library and pick up There's No Way I Died First by Lisa Springer. All right, and now we're going to turn to Mike Morris, and we are going to hear about his recommendations. Mike, what did you bring to us today? Hi, I have I Keep My Exoskeletons to Myself by Marissa Crane. This is a dystopian novel about the United States as a surveillance state that uses a particular shame system to control the population. So if you've committed a crime or if you've just done something wrong, you get an extra shadow by the Department of Balance. And when the main character's daughter is born, this happens right at the beginning of the book, Um, Her wife is killed during childbirth, and the Department of Balance gives her newborn daughter a second shadow. 
and she becomes what is known in this society as a shadester. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> is this a YA? Is this adult fiction? This is adult fiction, kind of speculative fiction. It's uh, about a lot of different things, though, I would say. It's about grief and shame. It's about navigating a world that discriminates against you, uh, but then also raising a child who's discriminated against in those same conditions. It's also about not only just society rejecting you, but sometimes the people who are closest to you. So those are friends, family, coworkers, and how you survived the destruction of your own social networks that give you that support and strength. It's also about found family and recreating the social support networks uh, of those that uh, accept you as you are. Um, so I have a lot of LGBTQ people in my life. And um, so this was though it doesn't hit home for me particularly, it, it, it's very familiar territory to me, and it's, it was really interesting to read about. It sounds amazing. How did you find the book in the first place? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how I find anything ever. We're swimming in the sea of books so often, I feel like I just kind of pick it up through osmosis. It's in the ether, and I just kind of gravitate towards these particular books. Now, I will say also that I love speculative fiction. That's probably what drew it to me in the end. That's the thing I picked up on. And this book, there were some other books I've read that were not maybe exactly similar, but uh, things that I've really loved, like um, School for Good Mothers, Red Clocks by Lainey Zumas, Chain Gang All-Stars. Um, it's that kind of potential near future fiction that is, to me, almost scarier than something that's like post-apocalyptic or something like that. It, it hits closer to home for me. Yeah. I love that you brought up Chain Gang All-Stars because, of course, we had Nana Kwame Ajay-Brenya on the show as a guest <laughs> before that book blew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, now so many people are reading it. It you know, it was an amazing finalist for the National Book Award. And exactly what you're saying, one of those um, sort of near fiction, near future possibility books, right, that could could happen and what if. You have opened the door <laughs> to this question that I'm dying to ask, and I've always wondered, how does a library choose books? Do you get catalogs before they're published? Are you reading the New York Times? You know, How are you finding books? There's a lot of different ways that happens. I would say probably the biggest way is we read professional review journals, and we see how those things are reviewed by other librarians, other people in the field. Um, that's the biggest way we do that. We also get requests from patrons all the time. We hear what the public wants. Um, we also put out our feelers. We go, what is the bookstore? What do the bookstores have? What authors are they interviewing that week or something like that? Um, for us up in Hanover, we have a lot of professors writing books. Um, so we are always saying, who's coming to Dartmouth? There's demand there. We are also looking at a variety of genres, too. We're trying to diversify our collection. So uh, we're also looking at just kind of not just those traditional professional review journals. We're looking in a multitude of places as well. And of course, you guys run programs like Check This Out so that we can bring emerging and diverse authors and books to readers, right? Books that you may not have discovered otherwise. So I'm grateful for that. And I think all mm -hmm. of our listeners are too. So thank you guys. I'm Rachel Barenbaum. You're listening to Check This Out on NHPR. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment with my guests, three librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire, and they are here today giving us their holiday recommendation.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the novel Atomic Anna. And my guests today here on Check This Out are three librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. And they are giving us reading suggestions, holiday reading lists, so you can come to the library anytime and check them out. All right, Megan, we're going to go to you. You have another book up that you want to recommend for us today? I do. It's a nonfiction history book. It was published in Canada two years ago, but it just got its U.S. publication date this year. So I think it counts. It's called Kini Viet, What's Your Name? The Eskimo Disc System and a Daughter's Search for Her Grandmother by Dr. Norma Dunning. Whew. No, it's a long title. <laughs> um, so this is part memoir, part sort of hidden Canadian history. So starting in the 1940s through the 1970s, the Canadian government decided that the Eskimo, which now they are preferred to be called in Canada um, Inuit people, their names and their language was too difficult. They couldn't say their names. They couldn't say their place names. And instead of trying to like westernize them, they gave them discs and you were known by a number and you had to carry this plastic tag with you everywhere to go shopping, to get medical care, to do pretty much anything. And it's this very sort of hidden, forgotten piece of history that even Norma didn't know about. And she, for years, was told she was French-Canadian till her aunt sort of slipped. And she found out that she was actually not French-Canadian. She was Inuit. And years as, as an adult, she decided to apply for, to be legally recognized from the Canadian government as an Inuit person and for her sons. And there's this question on the form she does not understand that says, what was your disc number? And that her application gets held up because she doesn't have that disc number. Wow. Her mom never, she said her mom never talked about it, really. She didn't even have a driver's license. She didn't have a passport. So there's no way in heck she probably had a disc number. And so she has to go hunting to find out more about her grandmother and finding out more about this family history and also finding out what her disc number was. But at the same time is also getting her Ph.D. in Native Studies and decides to do her thesis on this whole disc system because it's not, it's like mentioned here and there, but no one had ever like really talked to Inuit people about this part of their history. The Canadian government to this day is still not apologized for the system. Um, so it's really fascinating. And it's a very short read, it's about 200 pages. So, um, and it reads really quick. It's very engaging nonfiction. I know sometimes people, I think, get afraid of like nonfiction and think stuff you had to read in school and college and it's dry and it's boring, but this reads almost like a novel. The name of the book again, please? It's called Kinibit, which is Inuit for What's Your Name? The Eskimo Disc System and a Daughter's Search for Her Grandmother by Dr. Norma Dunning. Wow. I love that recommendation because this is exactly why we read and why we do this show. So yes. that you can learn about things like the disc system. Right. And I love, as a history major, I know that there's stuff that gets hidden in archives. And this is exactly an, an example of that. There's one point in the book where when she's getting her PhD, she, she jokes with someone that she's read everything in the archives having to do with Inuit people. And people just laugh. And she's like, no, really, I think I have. Like, you don't understand. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That must have been a hard read, too. It is hard at times. Like yes. emotionally trying. Emotionally trying. Yeah. Can you tell me about the experience of reading a book like that? If you I'm somebody who has like gaps in my own family history of like, we'll probably never know. And so I could really identify with her like longing to really figure out where she's from and like who she is. And also it brought up a lot of questions for me about who gets to decide who you are and how you get to label yourself and define yourself, especially because she went through this process of being recognized by the Canadian government to have this status. And 
be recognized as part of the tribe. So that's fascinating. I'm putting it on my list. I'm going to go to the <laughs> library and check it out. All right, Jared, we're coming back to you. Tell me about the next book on your list. Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe by Aomawa Shields. Uh, this is a beautiful memoir. The author grew up in a family with two parents who were professional musicians. Uh, but early on, she discovered a passion for astronomy. She went to Phillips Exeter Academy and then MIT. Uh, but she quickly found herself pulled in another direction as well, a love for acting. And she actually left astronomy to get a graduate degree in acting. And then much of the middle of the book is about her attempting to navigate these two passions in her life. She also actually finds that writing uh, exhilarates her and makes her feel alive as well. Um, so it's a story of someone navigating multiple passions, figuring out who she is and how to balance them, which ones to pursue professionally and which ones to pursue in her private life. Wow. So astronomy to acting. To writing. <laughs> yes. To writing. Yeah. All, all of these three things and for a little while simultaneously. I mean, she ended up becoming a professional astronomer. But I think that her acting background has made her an especially effective educational speaker. So she speaks TED Talks and speaks at many conferences. And she channels her background in acting uh, for purposes of education. It sounds really inspirational. Like you don't it's, have to just stay wherever you started in life. It's very inspirational and, and also profound because uh, another issue she's wrestling with in her own life is the balance of science and spirituality. So I think across all these domains, she's trying to figure out how to do both and rather than either or. Um, knowledge and creativity rather than one or the other. Science and spirituality rather than one or the other. Yeah. So you read a lot of memoir. Um, when people come to you and ask for memoir recommendations, how do you sort of figure out what kind of memoir to recommend to them? I would say probably partly based on the kind of subject matter they're interested in. Like this would really appeal to people who loved Lab Girl. Um, anyone who's interested in science or building a life in science um, or even alternately the arts uh, would find this really interesting. So I'm recommending Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe by Aomawa Shields. Lots of people come to you asking for book recommendations. So how do they come to you? What sorts of questions come your way and how do you field them so that you can really help people find the books that they're going to love? That's a really good question. People don't always people aren't always able to ask exactly what they're looking for. So it takes a little bit of a conversation to pull that out of them sometimes. It's easy to say I'm looking for a good book, but that's just the beginning. It's not the end. Um, so then we follow up with, are you interested in fiction or nonfiction? Are you interested in historical fiction or romance? Um, often this will take us quickly into ranges we might not ha have a lot of personal knowledge of. Um, I don't read a lot of 18th century maritime historical fiction. Um, so then it's very helpful to pull out examples of authors of books that they like. And then we have resources that we can use databases and so forth uh, to find similar authors and similar books. Yeah, I hear the other librarians in here laughing at that question. <laughs> the comment that maybe people don't always know what they're looking for. Yes. They yes. often start with, uh, like Jared said, uh, I'm looking for a good book, but you dig deeper and they're actually looking for something very specific. <laughs> yeah, or, they, or they'll or they say, oh, I like this author. And you'll say, well, wh what do you like about that author? And then they can't really, they don't have good language to tell you what they like about it. So then you have to be like, well, is it the setting? Is it the writing style? Is it the tone? Is it something else? Is it, are they humorous or not? You know, so you kind of have to like 
like Jared said, kind of like pick it out of them a little bit, get it out of them slowly, surely. <laughs> so how many books do you guys usually end up recommending before people find the book that they are going to leave with? I usually try and even with the criteria that they give me, usually try and and still have a little bit of a range in tones and styles when I'm recommending those books so that maybe one of those three or four that they take home, they're going to like. I was going to say the same thing. If I can make three or four recommendations and have them pick one or two, then I feel like I'm then I'm happy. Is there ever enough time to read all the books? No. no. <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> There's almost no time to read books. <laughs> we just find a way to do it anyways. Oh, I love that answer. I mean, how many <laughs> books are stacked up on your, uh, you know, to read list? It's embarrassing. <laughs> Not here. This is the Book Lover Show. <laughs> I, I often tell people that your to-be-read pile will will continuously grow and you will die not having even touched maybe a quarter of it. And I'm joking, but I'm also not joking. <laughs> uh, a habit of a lot of ri- librarians is to kind of take so many books home, take everything out, and then probably you get to a tenth of what you end up reading. And it's definitely it's a problem at my house that I've created and is uh, frequently complained about by my better half. <laughs> well, and then you go to a bookstore and then you buy more books, right? Or at least I do. <laughs> I love it. You know, I always tell people, people say, um, you know, if I start a book, I make myself finish it. And I always say to people, don't. Give an author, give a book 50 pages, 100 pages, even if it's, you know, the best book of the year and it's been hailed by everyone. If it's not for you, it's okay. Put it down and start the next book on your list. Time is too short. Yeah. Yeah. And just because everybody else loves the book or all of your best friends or your mom loves it doesn't mean you might also love it. I've been trying to endorse this for a long time now, um, but I think there, there's. I remember that as a kid, is people giving you the sense that you had to finish a book, like it was morally right to finish the book. And I don't think there's enough hours in the day, and there's so much good stuff out there. Don't spend it reading something you don't like. I love that straight from the librarians. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not loving the book, just bring it, it back. Just put it down. <laughs> put it down, bring it back, and get another book. They have a whole building filled with them, and they are here to help us find the amazing books we need to read. If you're just joining us, I'm Rachel Barenbaum. You are listening to Check This Out on NHPR, and my guests today are the amazing librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. Mike, we're going to head over to you. Tell me about the next book on your list. Sure. So this is A Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. It's about a young Canadian Cree woman who begins to have nightmares after her sister's tragic death. Those dreams become a lot more frightening and they feel a lot more real until during one of those dreams, she happens to be holding a bloody crow's head in her hand. And then she wakes up and the crow's head is there next to her in bed. She then blinks and it's gone. So dreams like these uh, become more frequent and there's a blurring between the dreams and reality and they become more terrifying. Um, So then she has to really rely on her friends and family to help her make sense of those dreams and discover what it actually is that's causing them to begin with. What's the name again? It's called Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. So, Rachel, we've been having a blast sharing some of our favorite reads with you, but we would also love to hear some of what you've been enjoying recently. Okay, I did come prepared just in case you were going to ask, because <laughs> I also am just flooded with books. It's an, it's actually part of why I do the show is because I get all the amazing books early on and I can write to publicists and authors and say, please send me your book before it's published. So that's kind of a dream for me. 
Um, one of the books that I got early on this year that I absolutely loved um, but wasn't able to bring on the show is The Possibilities. It's a novel by Yael Goldstein Love. And it opens with the protagonist um, on the operating table. She's having a C-section. And the baby is pulled out of her. And then at that moment, the world sort of rips into two parts. And in one part, in one piece, one line, the baby lives. And in the other, the baby dies. And the book goes forward. It fast forwards about uh, eight months into the future. And we see these two scenarios play out. We see one stream of life where she is living with the grief of having lost a child in childbirth. And the marriage is, um, you know, sort of together, but they are grieving together and trying to figure out how to go on. And in the other stream of life, we see her trying to deal with being a new mom and her marriage is falling apart. And then somehow these two worlds start to come together. She's jumping back and forth between them. And it's, you know, trying to figure out what's real. Am I going crazy? And underneath all of this, we're really dealing with and looking at postpartum depression and also grief of losing your single life or the life, you know, before children. All parents in the room, by the way, are nodding as I explain this. <laughs> right? The moment of a birth is the moment you also leave behind those days of just running out of the house with nothing, you know, left there. Um, and also, you know, sort of what it's like to manage a relationship when you have a major change, whether that's a child or not a child. You know, all partnerships undergo these massive changes. And what does that mean and how do you do it? So it was it was a very haunting um, book, very deep, very scary in some ways, but also made, had me thinking for a long time after I put it down, which is the sign of a good book and meant that I had to recommend it today. So that is... Uh, the Possibilities by Yael Goldstein Love. That's so interesting is leaving me trying to figure out whether it's a work of speculative fiction or of psychological unfolding, because it could really play out either way, could be the underlying premise for it. Yeah, it is both. And I mean, I think it's also trying to get at this idea of, you know, you could have your life could have gone either way. But, you know, do you lose something, gain something in each way you do? Um, but do they actually, you know, sort of come back together? I, you know, there are a lot of these what ifs, deeper questions about choosing one path versus another in your life that um, I love to talk about. So I loved reading about. I'm curious to see if it collapses back down to one story at the end. But I guess I'll have to read it to find out because we wouldn't want to ask you for a spoiler. <laughs> exactly. I love the way you put that. You will have to go to the library and check it out. The Possibilities by Yael Goldstein Love. You're listening to Check This Out on NHPR. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment with my guests today, three librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. They are recommending books today. Stay with us. Welcome back to Check This Out on NHPR. If you're just joining us, I'm your host, Rachel Barenbaum. And today my guests are three librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. Welcome back, guys. I'm so excited for the show and to be talking to you about your book recommendations for the holidays, for the year, just for reading in general. 
So, Mike, we're going to go back to you. What book is next on your list? Sure. So I'm uh, recommending Small Worlds by Caleb Azuma Nelson. Um, it's the story of a young man in London, Stephen, who's the first generation Ghanaian immigrant uh, and his transition from adolescence, high school uh, and to college and adulthood. Um, and in that he's navigating love and belonging and ambition. I love this book for so many different reasons. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's not it's kind of a simple story. It's not a very plot driven novel. And it's this is one of those novels that the language really brought me through. It's the words that really kind of propelled me through the entire book. He's an amazing writer. Writer. He wrote Open Water, which won a ton of awards and was really high, highly regarded. And um, it, it contained a lot of those sentences that you wish you had written. I'm not a writer, but you still wish you had written them. You know. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. And the characters in this are musicians. Um, and they're jazz musicians. And there's a lot of like lyricism and kind of percussive language. He uses a lot of repeating phrases here and there. And they're talking about music all the time. So it made me, it feel musical. And it was just, it made me think of um, like an instrumental jazz tune where a theme comes in and then there's just a solo and then the theme comes back again and the solo and the theme. And it was that type of language that really brought me through this book, really made me enjoy it. Um, there are a whole lot of other things going on here as well. The immigrant experience, belonging to when you're the first generation, you're you're not belonging to the culture that you were born into. And when you go back um, to your original, maybe where your parents are from, they also don't recognize you as being one of them. Um, it, w it had a lot going on. It was, and in some ways it was a love story, um, not a traditional romance, but nonetheless, it was, it was, a, it was a, young, a story about young love. That was Small Worlds by Caleb Zuma Nelson. Wow, I think that uh, Caleb Zuma Nelson would is probably loving the way you just talked about that book. That's like an author's dream <laughs> to be so in love with their language. Um, how did you find the book? Um, I think I had seen enough about Open Water and just um, I hadn't read it yet. Um, that I'm and then kind of like um, we were talking about before, when an author you like or an author you know is good comes out with another book. I was, I was just excited. I knew this was going to be a good book. It was also one of those books, sometimes you know on the first page, just the way the language falls, you know, oh, that's the right word, and that's the right word. And he just kept choosing the right word for me. And so I think that was the other thing, is as soon as I cracked it open, because I crack open a lot of books and read the first page and just set it back down, because again, there's not enough time in the day. But this is one of those ones, as soon as I read the first page, I had to read it. Small Worlds by Caleb Azuma Nelson. Sounds amazing. I'm going to check it out. Jared, we're going to swing back over to you again. What other book do you have to recommend for us today? One of my favorite genres of writing is nature writing and garden writing. And a book I read recently that I just loved was... Soil, the story of a black mother's garden by Camille T. Dungy. Um, at its face, it's fairly straightforward. It is the story of uh, the author moving with her family to a Colorado suburb, ripping up a pesticide and herbicide infested and sterile lawn in order to plant laboriously over the course of several years uh, a prairie planting of native flowering plants. Uh, but she weaves many, many more things into this narrative. She is the editor of a book called Black Nature, Four Centuries of African-American Nature Poetry. She's a poet herself, and the book is a sustained meditation on the way in which uh, black people's relationship with the natural world has been excluded from discourse around it. 
Uh, she's also very interested in the way nature writing has traditionally excluded the quotidian, domesticity. Uh, it's always a lone voice in the wilderness, usually a man. But even when Annie Dillard writes A Pilgrim at Tinker's Creek, she's out there alone by herself. And the author here is saying, I'm in a pandemic. I'm homeschooling my daughter. Um, we're dealing with uh, repeated stories on the news of uh, black people being killed by police officers. How do you how do you incorporate that into a book about a garden? Um, how do you truly represent our relationship with the natural world if you don't incorporate the rest of our lives as well? Those were some dark, hard days in the middle of the pandemic. So we're starting to see a lot more books come out now about those times. Yes. Uh, she's also a poet herself, and I think that her capacity for the use of language infuses the prose of this book, which makes it very enjoyable to read both uh, for its political content, for its language, as well as its uh, content as a gardening book. Uh, it, for her, is a book of political action. At some point, she says something like, every politically engaged person should have a garden, whether it be a plot in the yard or a pot of herbs on their windowsill, because she's trying to reconfigure our relationship with the natural world in light of our political responsibility. So that somehow being in touch with nature will help us find peace or a calmness that we is otherwise hard to find? Yes, but also engaging with the natural world in a politically responsible way will slow down the rate at which we're destroying the planet. So she's weaving all of these things together. The book is Soil, the story of a black mother's garden by Camille T. Dungy. Too many books, too little time. If you're just joining us, I'm Rachel Barenbaum. You are listening to Check This Out on New Hampshire Public Radio. And my guests today are three librarians from the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. They're giving us all kinds of suggestions for books that we should be reading over the holidays or just reading in general anytime, anywhere. Books, come to the library, check them out. <laughs> Mike, can you give us one more suggestion? Sure. Um, I'd like to suggest The Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang. Um, I just finished this book this weekend, so this one's fresh for me. Um, in this book, a toxic fog has enveloped most of the earth and killed most of the plants and thus the animals as well. And our main character is a chef. So this has destroyed her livelihood, how she defines herself, uh, until she's invited to mysteriously work as a chef on a mountaintop colony slash research facility in the Italian Alps. And it's run by a billionaire uh, with access to the last remaining plants and animals on Earth. Wow, it sounds a little bit heavy. It is. Um, so it's maybe not a cozy read for the holidays, um, but it's a really interesting read. Um, and there's a lot of things I liked about this book. Um, it was really multifaceted. Um, it got me thinking about climate change and what that might look like in the near future. I think we sometimes jump to the apocalypse um, and we don't think about what's that going to look like short term. Um, it also made me think about money and power and how um, those who have it will be able to avoid a lot of the things that happen um, with climate change. It also explores a lot about what it means to lose your identity and your purpose in life and how you survive that mentally in your new reality. It was also, funnily enough, because this character was rediscovering food for the long time. Most of the food in the, in the uh, world was kind of wiped out and they had to eat this like mung bean paste or something. It was, yeah, it was like a Soylent Green type thing. Um, but in it, when she goes up to this research facility, they have all the food 
and all the animals that used to exist on the, in the rest of the earth. So she's rediscovering food again. So in a lot of ways, it's a food novel. She's constantly describing the ways things taste and the way they smell. Um, and so it was a book for the senses as far as, as, far as uh, eating and drinking and things like that. Well, you don't usually think of uh, climate change disaster books being about food. But, I mean, without food, we can't exist, right? So that makes sense that that could be the focus of a novel. That's right. And um, so it, 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 made, it brought up all those things. It made me think about all those things pretty deeply about how, you know, that it, it might start slow, but it can cascade and collapse pretty quickly, which is what happened in this book. And it also she, she talks about, you know, the people who went through that and then the people, um, without giving too much away, um, the people afterwards who kind of came out on the other side. And that's The Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang. And you can come to the library and check it out anytime. Rachel, do you have a second book to share with us? Oh, well, thanks for asking. <laughs> of course I do. As anybody who knows me knows that I am always thrilled to hear that question. That's like my favorite question in the world. Um, so a book that I actually just read this weekend, like Mike, um, uh, I found a book that I really wanted to talk about. It is called Blood Sisters, and it's by Vanessa Lilly. And on the surface, this is a murder mystery, Blood Sisters by Vanessa Lilly, a missing persons case, sort of in the style of true crime that people love. But um, it's gritty, it's rough, but if you just scratch the surface, you get to the reason why I really loved this book. And um, it's because the protagonist, Sid Walker, is an archaeologist, a la Bones, if anybody used to watch that show. But she works for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and she's a white-presenting Cherokee woman facing ghosts of her own, secrets and violence from her past. Um, and she wants to hide all of it, except someone goes to her um, old backyard where she grew up and leaves a skull in her favorite climbing tree. And hanging from the skull is her original ID badge from when she was an intern at the BIA, the Bureau for Indian Affairs. And so she is literally called back to her home, her childhood home, to these tribal lands in Oklahoma to go back and solve the missing persons and the um, you know murder mystery that is there. Um, but really what is amazing about this book and why I loved it is because the author, Vanessa Lilly, is also, um, you know, this is a very personal book to her. She is also a white presenting Cherokee woman um, from Oklahoma tribal lands. And um, she's really writing this book to you know, make us aware of the fact that, you know, she puts in the author's notes things like 85 percent of American Indian and Alaskan Native women have experienced violence in their lifetime. Um, and so while the story and the people in the book are from her imagination, the events, the places in history are as close to the truth as possible. And she really takes us into memories of the trail, the trail of tears um, taking land and profits by the Bureau of Indian Affairs historically where they are now. And it was so moving. And I learned and remembered so much of history that I just hadn't thought about in a long time. And so um, I, I loved the book, Blood Sisters by Vanessa Lilly. Is the fact that the protagonist is white presenting, is that important to the story? Well, it's important in that, um, you know, there's always the question, and she talks about this in the book, like, when do you need to or when do you ever have to mention that you are Cherokee, right, mm -hmm. and working for the BIA? Shouldn't it just be enough that you are human and doing <laughs> this job? Why, you know, at what point does it matter that or should you reveal that part of yourself? Why should you even have to um, when this is just about humanity, right, and stopping violence against women and, um, you know, the horrible things that have happened to the Cherokee people? 
So, um, you know, she really is taking us past the land acknowledgement, I think, that we hear a lot of times now. People say sort of a, a rote acknowledgement before things begin or events, you know, and really digging us into what that means and why we should be talking about it more. I loved it. Blood Sisters by Vanessa Lilly. What genre would you put that in, Rachel? I am not good at classifying books. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes those are my favorite books. Those are the ones that are hard to classify um, because that means they have some sort of element that's unique or novel, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so those are the ones sometimes I gravitate towards the most. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's for someone, for people who um, like to read murder mysteries, gritty, you know, sort of rougher books. It's not a cozy mystery in that sense. But it also has a lot of history and a lot of, you know, facing um, the United States of America, you know, the history in this country um, and, you know, what happened to the Cherokee people on the Trail of Tears, right? And so there's a lot more history in it. It's not just, you know, a true crime novel. So that's why it's hard to classify, but definitely a grown-up adult fiction. I, I will leave it there. I wouldn't give it to your 10-year-old. <laughs> Same thing with Dyscalculia. Don't leave that lying around for your young kids to read. Yeah. What yeah. yeah. a wonderful book. Yeah. So we have given you guys lots of suggestions of books that we have already read, right, and that we loved and can recommend. Um, but I am dying to ask you guys, what is next on your list or what are you reading now? I am just a little ways into Bird Girl, Looking to the Skies in Search of a Better Future by Maya Rose Craig. The author is a, a very young woman, a British Bangladeshi, whose family is passionate about birding. And she's taken up a very active role in global protests on behalf of the environment. She's spoken at conferences, um, and she's traveled to most of the continents identifying birds. Um, another element to the story is that her mother has bipolar disorder. So it's the story both of the exploration of birds in the natural world, but also the impact of that on their family and the ways that uh, it can be used to help moderate her mother's symptoms. Uh, this is Bird Girl, Looking to the Skies in Search of a Better Future by Maya Rose Craig. Love it. Sounds amazing. Um, I have one. Um, I just started it, so I can't fully recommend it, but I'm very excited to read it. And it's Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane. And I think a lot for a long time I associated him with kind of just gritty guy mystery. And I didn't realize how good a writer he is. He is really really a wonderful writer. Um, in fact, I think if you, I, I think last week, NHPR's, or excuse me, NPR's Books We Love, used to be called the Book Concierge, came out, and it has all these different categories you can play with. That came up as under the serious, I believe, seriously good writing um, tab. And just, that's one that I'm like very excited to read because then he, I can, if I love it, um, I'm going to read his entire back catalog as well. That was Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane. You guys, thank you so much for all of these amazing suggestions. Before we go, um, I just want to ask you, uh, when people come to the library and they want to ask you for a book recommendation, what advice do you have for them for how they can sort of hone that <laughs> request for a recommendation so they can walk out with a couple of good books that might meet what they're looking for? I think if you let us know, what are some of the things that you've enjoyed in the past and why? I think that's one of the best ways to inform our recommendations for you. I was going to say even telling us what you didn't like is also helpful so we don't give you more of that. And don't be offended. I think I think sometimes people seem a little bit 
put off sometimes when I ask when they ask for a romance or a mystery, like how gritty or how steamy they want it, because they don't want to give you something really clean if you're looking for something a little more exciting or vice. You don't like really something really gritty and you know in your face like murder mystery, but you want something a little bit more cozy, right? I don't. I want to give you what you're looking for, so. <laughs> Right. Never be embarrassed to admit what you love to read. Exactly. Because it's just about loving books. Right. So if you love a super steamy romance, then own it. Be honest about it. And you guys are there to help you, you know, help everyone find that book. Right. And we try and let people know that they're in a they're in a judgment free zone as well. Like you can like whatever you want to like. That's why we're here. Right. No banned books at the how. So, Rachel, what are you currently reading? Okay, so I am gearing up for our next season coming next year. We have 16 more shows coming your way. There will be eight in the spring and eight in the fall. And so I am deep into reading all of those books that we are considering for the show. So I'm not going to name any titles yet or any authors, but stay tuned and check us out in the spring because you will see the eight new authors and eight new books coming your way then. Megan, Mike, and Jared, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and hearing all of your recommendations. I love librarians. All of us listening to you guys today love librarians. Thank you for working so hard and for keeping all those books on the shelves for us. I look forward to staying in touch and reading all of your recommendations and hearing even more next year. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. You've been listening to Check This Out, a new literary series, which is a partnership between New Hampshire Public Radio and the Howe Library in Hanover, New Hampshire. We dive deeply into the works of emerging and diverse authors you may not have discovered yet. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, and we'll be back with more conversations. Our producer today is Emily Quirk. The Howe Library Director is Ruby Simon. NHPR's Program Director is Emily Quirk. The show is sponsored by the Jack and Dorothy Byrne Foundation and the Howe Library Corporation. I'll be back next time with the author, Wahini Vara, and we will be talking about her brand new collection of short stories, This is Salvaged. Happy holidays, and remember to go to your local library and check out all of the books you hear about here and love. Thank you.